Welcome to Mom Friends. We are two longtime friends, Laura, who is a pregnancy and postpartum doula and mom of two, and Remy, who is a first-time mom-to-be, and we both get together to discuss the journey from preconception through pregnancy, postpartum, and beyond. Join us for weekly raw conversations and relatable struggles on how this life-changing event impacts all areas of our lives. Let's begin. Hello, welcome back to Mom Friends. Today, Remy is actually in LA. Yes, I'm here visiting. It's been a minute since I've came home. So I'm super excited to be here. I'm actually at my parents' house in my old room and I don't have my mic set up or anything. So hope it sounds okay. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it sounds pretty good to me. And we've just spent the last two days together, which was so fun. So nice. (laughs) Our nails burn. We went to our favorite restaurants, had brunch, had our earth Mm -hmm. boba. We spent time at home with the kids. Time with the kids, played. So yeah, it's it's so fun. Yep, yep. So today, following on Remy's story, last week we left off where she shared the choice where she's going to move forward with a second transfer instead of a third retrieval and that she will be transferring her last embryo. And to ensure that the environment is perfect, she's going to have a polyp removal procedure. So in today's episode, she will actually talk about this procedure. So if you want, Remy, let's start there. Okay. So with the polyp removal, basically my doctor booked me for hysteroscopy, which not to be mistaken with hysterectomy, I think, which is what I was mm-hmm. or which is like removal of the uterus or something. So no, yes. this is the removal of like extra scar tissue or tissue just like blocking the uterus lining because you want it to be super smooth at transfer, uh, which helps with uh, implantation. So the polyp removal was, you know, general under general anesthesia. So just like an egg retrieval, you're completely out. It was fairly easy i was there for the surgery itself was like 15 minutes it was not mm-hmm. anything crazy they just scratched the uterus and cleared the um the pathway they took pictures of the polyp while it was there and then after he removed it so basically when i woke up i had this these pictures these um, colored pictures of my literal uterus that looked cleared and so that was like reassuring to see that it was that what was done but um from the anesthesia i was pretty much just recovering from that it was not painful at all obviously i was sleeping um that that day i just took it really easy and went to straight directly to the bed and just took like took a nap till the anesthesia wore off and then i didn't have any dizziness or nausea or um, pain like I did from the egg retrieval at all. And it was just like a really easy 24-hour recovery. So, mm-hmm. yeah. Yeah, that's good. And just as a reminder, polyps may interfere with embryo implantation. And we thought it wasn't there when you first transfer your first embryo. But then after the miscarriage, your doctor saw it again. So that's why we're doing this to ensure that the environment is much better before implanting your second embryo because it's your last one too. So we just want to make sure everything is perfect. It's not 100% that it's the cause of the miscarriage, but it may be. So why not go ahead and do this procedure, right? And the thing is too, is like with my specific 
issue for the first one was that the embryo didn't stick. Like it implanted, it didn't stick. And so, you know, going down the rabbit hole of what what people have done to ensure, you know, what they did on their last embryo or whatever they throw the kitchen sink. There's a method that is done called scratching. And uh-huh. that's essentially what this was as well. Like it was like two in one because I got the polyp removed, but it was also you know, movement and scratching of the uterus to like move the blood and circulation around. So I feel like I, I, I in a way, indirectly did something that could also help mm-hmm. with sticking. Yeah, it definitely feels good moving forward with this done out of the way. And also now the next step is basically transferring your second and last embryo. We're definitely proceeding with caution and doing everything we can to make it successful. But obviously Mm -hmm. to us, like we just have to do everything we can. Yeah. Yeah. How far away is transfer day? So we're not waiting for a full cycle to, Mm -hmm. to, to do the transfer. I can pretty much do it in like two weeks. So we'll just start like prepping the uterus with the progesterone and estrogen. And so yeah, we could just kind of go straight into it, which is which is crazy. Yeah, so we're really close to that. That's the next step. Yeah. And yay, can't wait. So let's move on into talking about preconception logistics, because we have talked a lot about what to do with our bodies as we prepare for pregnancy and what to do with our mindset as we try to conceive. But we haven't really talked about logistics, conversations that you can start with your partner, things that you can do, like more of the thing, a a to-do list on logistics. So I don't think we officially talked about this, me and you. However, I think we've Mm -hmm. talked about a lot of these topics in the past. So it's a good way maybe to cover this for you as well yeah it'll be a good reminder for everyone listening too yeah perfect so let's begin the number one thing that you can start thinking about while you're trying to conceive logistically is do you even know if you're going the midwife route or the ob route because once you're pregnant you can start interviewing all the ob's or all the midwives but at least now that you're trying to conceive, researching and knowing if you want to go the midwife or OB route is very important, I believe. And so for you, Remy, we know that you want to go with an OB, correct? Yeah, you know, the thing is, I, I do go back and forth on this because you have shared so many resources and studies and just based off your own personal experience, I mm-hmm. feel there's benefits to going the mid midwife route or birth center route. And then it's just, I've been grown up to, to think, you know, it, it is a medical intervention. Like I need a hospital. I need an epidural. I don't want to feel pain, but I do go back and forth on it still. I think I would want to do things as naturally uh-huh. as possible at the hospital, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'll be there. So that's honestly the majority of my clients have that mindset. I I think a majority of my clients, definitely a majority, like an 80% have been at the hospital um, and then 50-50 epidural or not, right? So they all have this mindset where even if they want to use the epidural, they want to use it in the right way. There's no black and white. Obviously, if you go the OB route, it's more because you want to go and give birth in the hospital, right? That's your reasoning 
Yeah. What's important to note, because it was something I didn't know, is OBs are actually surgeons. Yes. So in one of the Q&A episodes, I answered the question, what is the difference between a midwife and an OB? So if you want all the details, you can go back to that and listen. But yes, basically, an OB is a surgeon. And they're trained to mm-hmm. do C-sections, which is great and much needed. But again, we can't treat every pregnant woman as someone who will need a C-section or as someone who will need interventions. And so it is true that when you go to a hospital or you're with an OB, there isn't that natural birth focus as nature intended birth to be. So it tends to be a birth with interventions somehow. And the little interventions that you can do at the beginning may lead to needing more interventions later. And that kind of like spirals into a snowball effect a lot of the time. So we can't generalize. There's amazing OBs that focus on a natural approach and no interventions and allowing nature to do its thing. But it is true that you tend to see that. And so midwives don't have any interventions in labor, especially out of the hospital births, home births and birth center births don't allow. There's no interventions, really, unless there's a medical emergency where you need one and then there's an intervention, right? So that's how birth should be. We should allow things to happen naturally. We shouldn't interfere with hormones We shouldn't interfere with the movement that we need at birth to allow the baby to rotate and to have gravity and to come out faster. Um, So, yeah, we we do things a little bit different in the Western world. And so midwives are still trying to focus on that natural approach with no interventions. And I love having OBs and hospital tools as a backup. However, if you, Raimi, for example want to go to the hospital, but want to get the most natural birth possible. That's why you hire someone like me, a doula, that can help you, one, focus on your goals, and two, use those tools and intervention really when needed, not just because, because I'm going to provide you education and guidance and help you make the right choices throughout and navigate labor better in a hospital setting, because you really don't want to go to a home birth or birth center birth, right? So before, so even now, like before having a baby, you want to already start thinking about this? Like you can't, is this something you really do recommend knowing and deciding before, you know, getting Yeah, for sure. I mean, at least research both now during the trying to conceive. Understand pros and cons from both OB and midwives. Research OBs in your area. Research midwives in your area. Research birth centers in your area. And have some mm-hmm. knowledge, even if you don't know exactly who you're going to go with, of what you want. And exactly like the philosophies you want, the, the things that you're looking for in either yeah. provider. By the time you get pregnant, you're already four weeks. You're going to probably go to whatever OB you already have, existing Mm. OB, to confirm the pregnancy. But at least you need to know who you want to interview and what type of route you want. Because if you have to start the research from zero at that point, it's going to be a little tight and a little stressful and may 
give you a little pressure on making a decision prematurely without doing the right research. And I wouldn't want that for you. So I would recommend now during the trying to conceive, definitely looking into all of your options, researching why you would want a birth center, a home birth and an OP, and kind of having an understanding of what you want. Right. Yes. And you can always say, I don't know, let's interview both. Why not? Let's go see and tour birth centers. Let's go talk to midwives that do home births. Yeah, why not? Like you can do, you can interview everyone and then make a decision. But at least you should be researching. You should be looking into who's around you, what's available in your area, and also the pros and cons of you in this specific case, Ramy. So it's just evaluating mm-hmm. everything and seeing what aligns with you. I can tell you, I did not know I wanted an outside of the hospital birth until I was about to get pregnant because I knew I was going to try for the first time. And I started researching and that made me know that I was aligned with an outside of the hospital birth. Until then, I also grew up knowing that birth is at the hospital, period. I didn't know otherwise. So it's now when you need to expose yourself to videos and research and data and interviewing and, you know, talking. And so it's what you need to be doing now. So it's a good conversation to have. Yeah. I didn't know you were thinking about potentially getting a midwife instead. No, no, don't even say that. I don't think I, I <laughs> like there's it's almost like I feel like there's one right way and then like a weaker way or something. Like I feel like I like the natural way or unmedicated way is like goals. And like I feel like I should want that, but I don't. Do you know what I mean? Is that a limiting belief, though, where you think you can't do it because you think that you don't handle pain, right? Yeah. I. But it's almost like I don't want to. Because, yeah, it is. It's a scary thought. It's like a fear, right? Like I live an hour away. Like what if something happens and I got to get in the car and it's an hour or more? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it's a valid fear. Yeah. That's why... And if you do want a midwife and a natural birth, if you that's what you want, but you're saying you want to be closer to the hospital, then maybe your solution is a person are really close to a hospital that gives you that peace of mind, but also gives you the natural midwife. It's also an option. So maybe in this case for you, you need to be researching birth centers near you, near hospitals that maybe are like, right. you know, closer and interviewing them too. Why not? put that on your list instead of just interviewing OBs, maybe just also interview midwives and tour that midwife center. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'm not opposed to that. Yeah. Second one, and uh, this one is something we've done in the very beginning of you trying to conceive, is does my insurance cover any of the OBs in my area, the OBs I want to look into, and do I need to change my insurance? That's one of the things I definitely recommend doing as soon as you try to conceive because you never know when. Um, And that's something you did very early on, right? Yeah. I mean, I had this done last year, you know, last year, Mm -hmm. already starting the process. I didn't know it would take another year or more later. So I I had upgraded my health insurance a year ago thinking, you know, last year was the year I was going to get pregnant and I had picked out my already. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well, it didn't happen, but I still have that same insurance. So I still know I'm covered. But yeah, definitely that's a huge step. Mm -hmm. And you selected your OB, but we haven't interviewed your OB. So that's something on your list to do once you get pregnant. Yes. Number three would be having a conversation with your partner about this to create realistic expectations on the both of you. Because sometimes I see there's a lot of fighting about this topic and his expectations on 
hey, are you planning to come with me to every single OB or midwife appointment? Oh, okay. And then having yourself think if you want that support from your partner and just having that expectation conversation right now as well. Because once you get pregnant, mm-hmm. what if your partner's like, I'm not coming, you know, like just have that fight now before you're pregnant and figure it <laughs> out. Um, so what about you? Is uh, Nate going to go with you? Do you even know? Well, I would have that conversation with him. I have a feeling he would come with me. He would, he'd probably ask mm-hmm. me like, do you want me to be, be there um, for like things that he may feel like I would rather go alone with? But um I think it's something that we've already talked about because of all the fertility appointments we've had to go through this year. So, you know, we've already established, you know, the routine blood checks and ultrasounds you don't have to go to. um, But Mm -hmm. the things like the surgeries and like the, you know, anything else, like, yes, be there. Um, Yeah. I mean, you have to remember that when you get pregnant, there's OB or midwife routine appointments once a month and then it gets closer to two to a month and then once a week so uh, as soon as you get closer to the due date you have them more frequently but these appointments are very routine appointments they're not like a procedure so then would you not want Nate to come with you because they're just routine appointments mm. they're not procedures you know what I mean yeah probably it, probably routine things I would go on my own did you I had Nathan come to every single thing I think that it was Aww. very important um, for, you know, I think guys don't go through anything like there's basically no reminder of them being pregnant, you know. So it's kind of a way of them being a part of, hey, the baby's yeah. coming. We're getting ready for this and moral support, you know. Um, so, yes, he came to yeah. every single one. Also, we had this cute place next to the birth center there was this really cute place in Pasadena um, where we had brunch after the session so it was kind of like our monthly thing you know after the appointments and also once I had my second after I was six months pregnant COVID began and I could not bring him and it was really really bad to be there on my own like it is such a different experience to be alone so I love it I love having my partner come with me I think that it's important but again everyone's different so I think it's a good conversation to have now because one can think one way the other one can think the other way and then you can have a fight you know every single appointment (laughs) okay well now I think he needs to be at every single one (laughs) (laughs) sorry (laughs) um okay Next one. So the next one, number four, is that if if you do develop first trimester symptoms like nausea, exhaustion, which can sometimes be mild, but can sometimes be very, very severe, and it can really make your first trimester miserable and hard to even get through, you're kind of like surviving, right? So if that Mm. happens, it's good to think even while trying to conceive on certain things. Like, for example, are you even able to work from home? Do you have sick days to take? Like, how's your work situation if that happens to you? Do you have to go to the office every single day or can you work from home? Be flexible. Ask for flexibility. If you're self-employed, do you have an assistant or a freelancer that you will be able to delegate more to? Is that already lined up? Things to consider, right? Yeah. Also, are you going to be able to slow down on work? So, for example, for you, Remy, I know that you already are planning to reducing work intake during the weeks after transfer, right? Yes, I, I blocked it out. Mm-hmm. So it's something to also consider while trying to conceive. Are you going to slow down on work, take less work? Also, will your partner be able to take over 
some home chores that maybe are yours now. Maybe can he cook more? Can he do more laundry, dishes, cleaning? Can you have this conversation also now before that happens? Like, hey, if I get really sick from the first trimester, nausea, exhaustion, blah, 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 are you going to step up your game as well at home? And then, for example, if you do have a toddler or other kids already, is your partner going to be able to pick them up and drop them off from school if you are very sick? Or is he going to be able to take them to the park more often? So having that those expectations talked about now is also important because, trust me, it can also be miserable with a toddler. I was dying first trimester. And then finally, if you have to like ask your family to maybe help more or have a nanny lined up for that care if your partner can't, that's also a good thing to kind of like think about and think of your logistics. For example, me, I always thought if I have a third, I want my two kids to go to the same school because then my partner will be able to go pick them up and drop them off instead of having to go to two places, right? So for me, that is one of the things that I do think about because I'm so miserable during the first trimester. So it's the little things that will make it easier and smoother later too. That's helpful. Mm -hmm. Okay, number five. If you want to stay active during pregnancy, trying to conceive is the time to begin a routine if you don't have it. Or for example, if you do want to do Pilates or a specific workout during pregnancy, trying to conceive is the time to begin something new because beginning something new during pregnancy is not recommended. So I would recommend, you know, having a routine to make sure that you can keep it going through the pregnancy. And especially if you want to start something new like Pilates, for example, which I think is a great workout for pregnancy. So that is another great tip for trying to conceive <laughs> logistics. And then number six, I would say budgeting for pregnancy and postpartum. Because a lot of people don't think about it. They're like, oh, we'll just take it as we go. But there's a lot of things to consider. Number one, for example, OB, prenatal and postnatal visits. There's a copay that will probably you need to pay. <laughs> um, hospital birth is still, you know, there's still a copay as well. And then midwife rates, there's usually a package that include the whole prenatal birth and postnatal appointments. But that package is usually paid out of pocket and it's from five to 10K. So yeah. plan for that as well, if that's something that you need to budget for. And there's not only the appointments and the birth and the postpartum, but there's also so many things that can come with postpartum and pregnancy care, like a birth doula, postpartum doula, night nurse, extra cleaners, meal prep delivery, acupuncture, chiropractor, massage therapist, lactation consultant, <laughs> pelvic floor therapist. There's so much and you know how expensive these things are and you know how a lot of our insurance doesn't cover a majority of this type of treatments. And even just like getting all your baby supplies together. Yep, yep. That was another of my points. Obviously, all the baby gear and things. Although I will say it is very typical to get it gifted or hand-me-downs if you have friends with babies. So you definitely tend to get around with the bigger baby items um, in your baby shower or again, hand-me-downs. The regular things that you have monthly, diapers, formula if you need it, clothes that they keep growing out of, medical appointments, baby gear that they keep needing throughout, right? So it's a lot of things. Yeah. And Remy, we will go through like all the baby gear when you're pregnant. I think that's something we can cover for sure. Yeah, that'd be fun. Like what's necessary, what's, what's overrated? A hundred percent. Yeah, we can review all of it. <laughs> 
Mm-hmm. Okay. Something else that is good to start budgeting, even trying to conceive for, is postpartum daycare, postpartum nanny. How long are you going to take from maternity leave, if you even will have maternity leave, looking into your job and seeing how much maternity leave you have, but also how much paid maternity leave you have, because not all your leave is paid. And so if you need a daycare, if you need a nanny, if you need a part-time nanny, if you need to start talking to family members to see if they can help a little bit and budgeting for that, because it's so expensive. And then finally, having emergency savings, too, because you never know. C-sections are more, NICU stays, baby health issues that they may have, unplanned formula, for example, um, that you may need. So it's definitely good to start putting more money aside when you're trying to conceive. Mm, That's smart. Um, Number seven would be, it's sad, but it's true, (laughs) looking into life insurance. Um, So just, you know, setting something up, it would be great. Number eight. Again, this has been mentioned before, but if you do work, looking into how much maternity leave, how long, how long it's paid for. And also if your job offers flexibility to work from home, to work from the office, because that also is helpful. If you are breastfeeding and you're working from the office and you want to keep breastfeeding, pumping is a lot of work. So at least if you're home with a nanny, you can, you know, every two hours go feed your baby breastfeed. It's much, quote unquote, easy. <laughs> um, just pumping in the office and being away and like, it's so much more work storing the milk so yeah if does your job have flexibility working from home does your job have flexibility with hours can i work from home longer maybe while i'm starting to work and i work from home and then return to the office when baby's older like look for those things and maybe sometimes it's time to look for a new job that will offer you better maternity leave better flexibility and will provide you with a better postpartum experience because that is a super important so why not mm. look for a new job that adapts to that if you already know you're going there right mm. i feel so like i feel so lucky that we're in a position or a job where we are able to make our own schedule a little bit have a little more control but i wonder mm-hmm. like what is normal for maternity leave because that's something that unless we mindfully you know block off we'll just be working 24 7 you know so like what is how long should maternity leave be for anyone like who who it, where it's not like structured mm-hmm. well you know some countries what's normal is a year or a year and a half or two what? <laughs> yeah i would like paid a year of maternity leave no. so again what's normal varies and what's normal for the U.S. can be two weeks, four weeks, six weeks, which I think is ridiculous. You're not even, you know, healed. So, yeah, it's, it's just ridiculous. Um, if I had an office job, right, Yeah, I would not want to, I personally would not want to return anytime before six months, for sure. Wow. If I had an office job, right? Yeah. But I would try to see if I could get, you know, some type of work from home situation after that even um, so I could still be more present. I know this is not something that's very normal. So, again, you have to, like, see what you can find. But for someone like me and you, I didn't have any maternity Mm. leave at all in the sense of, like, I was still working day one, even though I did not stop working. I slowed down a lot. I delegated more and I really prepared through trying to conceive and pregnancy for that. So we can do that together 
so that you don't have to quote unquote have completely maternity leave. But at the same time, it's like, hey, right. it's emails here and there. It's like very easy things that we can do that we're lucky to be able to yeah. be flexible and do, right? Um, I also think some type of work is sometimes good because your brain kind of functions, but laying in the bed, you know, like being cuddled with your baby, it's like that type yeah. of work, you know? Um, other than that, yeah, it's just it depends on what you're comfortable. Some women do like going back to the office because they need that. They're like, I, I can't be a, you know, stay-at-home mom. It drives me crazy. I need my balance going to the office doing my thing coming back being with my baby that's fine some people just want to have a part-time schedule after baby some people want to work from home after baby so that's what i'm saying look now into how your work will look like what the maternity leave would look like and maybe change jobs right now that's a good time the last one number nine is as you said if you work for yourself instead it's a good time to think about do i need to hire more people do i need to stop taking new clients this is something i did with my second i said i'm not going to take new clients because i know i'm going to have a second baby so i'm done with new clients which means training and getting to know them you know so do i need to put any work on autopilot do i need to do anything that can be you know done without me manually doing it um that's something great to look into or even do i need to not just reduce the work but also maybe create some type of passive income somehow so maybe if you're doing one-on-one -on -one clients can i do that as a course instead anything that you can do as a passive source of income is great and do it now because now is the time to put in the work and later is the time to make that come into the passive income right so that is something that is also very important, I think. I liked it. I feel like you're not just thinking about, you know, getting pregnant, but it's it's so much more than that. And sometimes we're just focused on one thing. We're not we're not considering how much goes into it and like how your life has to evolve and change with the pregnancy. And I mean, it's just a good heads up and something, you know, we could all get ready for and take away yeah and the sooner you have these conversations and start thinking about these things the more you can prepare slowly and also yeah. the smoother it'll go right so that yeah. that's important and once you're pregnant we can go over all the things that we need to do obviously logistically too but once you're pregnant so i think these are some great things to do while trying to conceive um but yeah we'll definitely cover the other ones once you're pregnant there's a lot <laughs> yes um, okay, so next week we'll actually do another Q&A episode, which we have not done in a while. So it'll be good to answer any questions about Remy's second egg retrieval experience, the results, and all of that that we haven't really done a Q&A since before then. And any journey questions, trying to conceive pregnancy, postpartum doula questions, personal questions, anything. Yeah, and then we'll just be preparing for transfer day until then. But we are doing things a lot differently this time. So I am excited for that and I'll be sharing more on that as well. But next week we'll be answering all of your questions like Laura said. So make sure to go to our IG at momfriendspod and submit your questions there. And don't forget to subscribe to the pod so you don't miss the next episode to come. Yay, perfect. Can't wait to answer all the questions. See you next week. See ya. Bye. Bye.